Today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. Give us ears to hear your truth, and eyes to see the needs around us as we draw close to you. May we thirst for the water that your love brings us. Open our hearts, change us from within by the open word. Our request ought to be more like the writer of Proverbs. The writer of Proverbs, great wisdom that's found there in Proverbs chapter 30, verse 8. He says, give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that's allotted to me, lest I be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of the Lord. Just give me a balance. I don't want to have so much that I forget that it's you that's taking care of me. And yet I don't want to be so poor that I I feel that I need to go and steal and and be dishonest to, to be able to gain things. How much would it take for you to be satisfied? While responses are sure to vary, one thing is certain. God loves to bless His children and teaches them to be satisfied. In today's program with Pastor David, we'll consider how we might receive from God in a way that does not create a hindrance. No amount of blessing can ever become a problem if it doesn't compete with our relationship with God. We must learn to be good stewards of His provision and find satisfaction in our relationship with God. Now here's Pastor David with part one of today's message entitled, How Much is Enough? I checked it out because I knew that you guys probably wanted to know for sure. And so I I did some research because I knew that it had been bothering you guys and you'd been really wondering what the latest was. (laughs) Well, I don't have quite the latest. I have last year's latest. As of March 2015, the Forbes magazine list of the wealthiest individuals of the world. Do you realize that as of March of 2015, we now have 1,826 billionaires in the world? That's billionaire with a capital B, okay? There was actually last year, there was 290 more billionaires than there were the previous year. The Previous year before that, there was 268 more billionaires than there were the previous year. And prior to that, there were 240-something more billionaires than there were the year before. I've looked around. I don't think any of us made the list, though. (laughs) I keep praying. I keep praying. (laughs) And for for those of you that were really concerned, uh, Bill Gates is still number one. He is the highest net worth of anyone in the world. Now, he's done that for 16 years. Now, if you wonder what that looks like, that's uh, $79.5 billion that that one man is worth. For those of you that know the name Warren Buffett, uh, 
he is actually two steps down below Bill Gates. Warren Buffett has a mere $72.7 billion. Now, next month, actually in March of 2016, the new list will come out, and it'll be kind of interesting to see because there is always this, uh, there, there, there's this challenge that's always going on. There's this competition. I, it's crazy. Uh, uh, among billionaires about what place you're going to be in the top billionaire list. I remember when million dollars was a lot of money. Uh, you know, any of you remember that? I mean, that, that was a lot of, well, it still is, okay? It still is a lot of money. And it seems like there's never an end to the amount of, of money, the amount of power, the amount of prestige that people are looking for. Next time you stop at, or, or you shop at Walmart, you know that nice little discount store down the way? I just want to let you uh, rest in the knowledge that you're helping keep bread on the table of six Walton billionaires. Christy Walton, 41 $0.7 billion. Jim Walton, $40.6 billion. Alice Walton, $39.4 billion. Robson Walton, $39.1 billion. And then there's Anne and Nancy. Anne has single-digit billions. She's $5.6 billion, and Nancy is Don't you feel sorry for Anne and Nancy, you know? (laughs) When people are are, are pushing and striving for more finances, more power, more prestige, the sad thing is, is they're never really satisfied with what they have or where their standing is. Because there's always more. There's, There's always a little bit more that you could grab, a little bit higher in that list of 1,826 billionaires in the world. The Apostle Paul tells the Philippian church in chapter 4, he says, I've learned in whatever state I'm in to be content. I know how to be abased and I, I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things, I've learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Beloved, that, that's, that's an amazing mindset, really, for a person to live with, to be absolutely content with wherever we are at any one point in time in our lives, particularly in our culture. Our, our culture is a culture that continually cries out, bigger, better, and more. You have to have bigger houses. You have to have better cars. You have to have more money, whatever it might be. We are the land of the mini-storage, Right? I mean, that is a big business, mini-storage business. People go out and they, they, they rent a uh, 15 by 25 storage unit. They pay $100 a month to keep the stuff that they've accumulated that they can't use, but they still have it. Amen? Am I stepping on anybody's toes? I don't know. Mark Twain, he, he once defined civilization as a limitless multiplication of unnecessary necessities. And you know what? He's right. The sad thing is, is that many Christians are infected with that disease, that same disease. That, and it is a sin of covetousness. And the sad thing is, is many Christians who have that disease, they don't know it. And I call it a disease, a dis-ease, because the sin of covetousness will never allow you to be at ease. 
because there's always something else that needs to be purchased, always one more step on that rung of success. There's always one more place that you are so focused and so driven to be able to acquire within your lives. But measured by the living standards of the rest of the world, most believers in America are, were wealthy. The fact is, is the vast majority of you drove a car here today. And for probably the vast majority of those who drove, that's one of at least two cars that you have. You probably drove here from a house that has a solid roof on it and the wind doesn't blow through the rafters. So just let me tell you, that, that's how wealthy you are. We might think, well, my house, my personal house, I, I need a new roof, I need a new air conditioning, but you know what? It still keeps out the rain. It still keeps me cool in the summer and warm in the winter. Wealthy beyond most of the people in the world. We are in the gospel according to Luke. We're in chapter 12. I invite you to turn there with me, if you would. And here in Luke chapter 12, Jesus continues his discussion with not only his disciples, but also those other followers, those that are around him at this point in time. The beginning of chapter 12, it talks about this huge multitude of people, so many that they were literally trampling over each other to get there. Jesus continues on, and we've now worked our way down to verse 13 of Luke chapter 12. So if you would look there and then follow along with me, please. Luke 12, verse 13, Then one from the crowd said to him, said to Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. And Jesus said to him, Man, who made me a judge or an arbitrator over you? And he said to them, then Jesus said to them, Take heed and be aware of covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses. Are you an underliner of your Bible? Are you a highlighter of your Bible? I encourage you to be, and I encourage you to underline or highlight your Bible where it says, One's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses. If you don't want to write in your Bible, you know the drill. You just lean over and write in the Bible of the person next to you, okay? <laughs> they probably need to know that also. This man comes up to Jesus in the midst of this crowd, in the midst of Jesus' teaching. He says, teacher, tell my brother to share the inheritance with me. Now, when we first think of that, we think, well, why in the world would he ask Jesus about that? But actually, it wasn't really too much out of order. Rabbis were often called upon to, to again, settle these domestic or these civil uh, matters within their villages, within their towns. Better to go to the rabbi. The rabbi is a voice of reason. Better to go to him, let him kind of work things out than to bring somebody to court. And so it's totally understandable that uh, he would go here to Jesus. But the problem was, is Jesus was not the rabbi of that area, and if he was just an ordinary rabbi, if he was an ordinary teacher, he wouldn't have been privy to all the ins and the outs of this local problem, of this, the dynamics of this particular family at all. Now, we know that Jesus wasn't an ordinary teacher. We understand that. We know that Jesus understood the hearts of all men, and he could look right through this thing. He could have settled it right there. But he tells that man, who, I, I'm not an arbitrator. I'm not a judge for you right now. Jesus actually could have judged it, but he saw a greater problem, a greater problem than simply this 
imbalance within an inheritance. It would appear that probably both of these brothers were there at that point in time, both of them listening to the words of Jesus. When Jesus replies to this man, he's actually replying to both of the men. The you in his statement there is actually a plural you. And you can almost imagine the scene as both of these brothers are here, maybe both of them listening to Jesus. They came to hear his teaching, and the one guy, he's figuring, hey, man, I've got this opportunity. I've got this audience here. Uh, I'm going to get this thing straightened out between you and me. Hey, rabbi, hey, teacher, tell my brother to share his inheritance with me. Hey, that's not why I've come. That's not why I'm here. The problem most likely wasn't just with that one brother wanting more of the inheritance. It was probably a problem with both of them, one desiring to gain and the other one desiring to maintain or to keep. I'm not going to share with you. Yes, remember as kids, okay, we're like that, okay? When we grow up, unfortunately, we bring a lot of those same attitudes, Well, Jesus chose not to get involved with the domestic portion of this dispute because he fully understood what was going on. There was a situation of coveting that was going on here, not simply the fairness or the unfairness of the inheritance. Jesus told him in verse 15, he says, Take heed and beware of covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses. Beware of covetousness. How do you measure success in your life? Think about that for a moment. How do you personally measure success in your life? Is it a job promotion? Is it the accolades or the applause of of man? Is it a fat checking account or a savings account? Maybe good, solid investments although I don't know as there is such a thing anymore. What is it? All of these things, they have trappings. They have the the look to the world of success. Wow, he's way high in his company. Man, he drives a really nice car. Wow, they have a big, beautiful home. They they, are always getting their name in the paper. They're uh, on on the good pages, not the police reports. Uh, they're, They're well known within the community. They're very successful. What does that look like to you? I want to let you know that our life is not made richer by the gaining of any material thing. Let me give that to you one more time. Our life is not made richer by the gaining of any material thing. Material things are just that. They're material. They're, they're temporary. They, they fade away with their use even. Now, you need to understand, too, as, as I'm sharing all of this, Jesus isn't against someone gaining material wealth. I understand that, and I see that even throughout the balance of Scripture. But he does set a strong warning against those material things or our desire to get them, and they becoming a controlling factor or a controlling influence within our lives. If that becomes your drive, if that becomes your passion, if that becomes your focus, then you know what? You've set an idol in front of the Lord. That idol might be that job promotion. That idol might be that next pay raise. That idol might be that savings account or whatever it might be. Whenever we set anything in a a material way like that, if we set anything before the Lord, we've set up an idol. 
Jesus helps us to see this danger of covetousness and, 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 and by giving them a little parable here. In, down in verse 16, we read the parable. And Jesus, then he spoke a parable to them saying, the ground of a certain rich man yielded plentifully. And he thought within himself saying, what shall I do since I have no room to store my crops? So he said, oh, I'll do this. I'll, I'll, I'll pull down my barns and I'll build bigger. And there I will store all my crops and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But then God said to him, fool. You know, you're, you know you're in trouble when God calls you a fool, okay? God said to him, fool. This night your soul will be required of you. Then whose will those things be which you've provided? People who are satisfied only with the things that money can buy are in great danger of losing the things that money cannot buy. When money becomes the primary focus in our lives, there's a good chance we start losing all those things that are just ours not by buying them, not by purchasing them, but by being a person of godly choices, a person of good reputation, a person, again, dedication to the things of the Lord. I, I think that all of us, probably, maybe my boat isn't as big as I think it is, but I think that probably most all of us, how's that? That gives one or two of you an out. Uh, but probably most of us, would agree and, and probably have even said the same words of uh, Teve. Uh, remember the guy on Fiddler on the Roof, okay? Uh, when he said those famous words, he says, if riches are a curse, may God smite me with it, and may I never recover. <laughs> that whole idea, that whole thought of gaining more, maybe gaining just a little bit more, Maybe gaining a lot more. It just depends upon where our drive and how strong that is. I think all of us have dealt with that in one way or another. Maybe it's a continual thing that, that continually rises to the surface. The problem is our request ought to be more like the writer of Proverbs. The writer of Proverbs, the great wisdom that's found there in Proverbs chapter 30, verse 8, he says, Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that's allotted to me, lest I be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of the Lord. Just give me a balance. I don't want to have so much that I forget that it's you that's taking care of me. And yet I don't want to be so poor that I, I, I feel that I need to go and steal and, and be dishonest to, to be able to gain things. Here in this particular parable that Jesus shares with them. You see a man that's blessed with success. A man that, that again, his, his field yielded plentifully. Apparently it was a real bumper year. Apparently it had never really happened that well for him in the past because his barns and his storage rooms couldn't even contain all of that. I mean, if it was a, just another good year, well, you know, I built big barns, you know, five years ago. We had a good crop. We've got big barns. No, this is, this is like, man, it's never been this good before. I've never seen my crops come in like this before. And he has no idea where to put the extra. 
His greatest problem, though, was his attitude. His greatest problem wasn't in space. His greatest problem was in his heart and in his focus. His problem wasn't that his barns were too small. The problem was that his vision and his understanding was too small. As you look at this man's declaration, notice the personal pronouns here. Those are the eyes and the mys. Listen to what it says, beginning in verse 17. What shall I do since I have no room to store my crops? And so he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build greater. And there I will store all my crops and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. No less than 11 times, I, my. You understand, this is mine. It's all mine. Remember the little phrase from the little creature in uh, Lord of the Rings, mine, 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 mine. Just that idea of just holding on to anything and everything that we have. He speaks to himself. He says, man, we were, we're set for years. All I need to do now is just sit back, relax, eat, drink, and be merry. All of his focus, all of his desire, all of his care are about himself and about his own comfort. Henry David Thoreau credited with these words. He says, that man is richest whose pleasures are cheapest. He also said, a man is rich in proportion to the number of things which he can afford to let go. How much do you have in life? I know this morning it might be stepping on some toes. I know this morning it might be really rattling some brains. That's okay. The Word of God has to do that. If we come in and we're comfortable all the time, every time we hear the teaching of the Word of God, then we need to go to a different place. How much is there in your life that if you lost this afternoon, that you would still have contentment, you'd still have peace? Or would your world just be totally shattered if you found out this afternoon or tomorrow morning that uh, Dow Jones, uh, the whole uh, uh, stock market just absolutely collapsed one more time. Do you realize that there were men and women back in the early 2000s, 2007 and 8, when we had that big crash, who lost hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars? Some of them took their lives. Some of them were so depressed because all they had was a few hundred million left. It's crazy, isn't it? It's crazy. But what is it that you hold on to? What is it that's so important in your life that if it were all going tomorrow, you could still say, you know what? That doesn't matter. That doesn't matter. Because none of those things, none of these material things that we hold on to, none of these material things that man pursues and and rushes and grabs and seeks and drives for, none of those things reach into eternity. Like a pastor friend of mine used to always say, it's all going to burn. It's all going to burn. Think about that for a moment. Everything that you and I see right now, everything that we have right now, there will come an end to it, except our relationship with Christ. We can all remember the marketing campaign, WWJD, What Would Jesus Do? 
While this became somewhat cliché, the concept behind it is crucial. In each and every circumstance, we need to consider not only what Jesus would do, but what He did do when He was here on earth. As Pastor David teaches through the Gospel of Luke, we'll see exactly what Jesus did. We're sure today's message has been a blessing to you. Maybe you'd like to get a copy of today's message. Here's Tracy with all the information you need. Life these days moves fast. From one appointment to the next, most of us race through our days with blinding speed. Those in-between moments are great opportunities to connect with God by hearing from Him. To hear more encouraging words from God's Word through the ministry of Pastor David, go to TheOpenWord.com and click on the Teachings page. Thanks, Tracy. Again, to secure your own copy of today's message, simply log on to TheOpenWord.com and select the Teachings page. You can also give us a call if you'd like. That number to call is 520-836-9676. That's 520-836-9676. Another option to get in touch with us is to send us an email. Our email address is info at theopenword.com. Once again, you've been listening to The Open Word with Pastor David Landry of Calvary Chapel in Casa Grande, Arizona. In the next edition of The Open Word, David will continue teaching through the Word of God. So please make plans to join us again, and may God richly bless you. Make a small